This is Kathy Valentine, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away hey everybody welcome to rock solid the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic i'm pat francis and joining me in the zoom room today it's actually her second appearance on the show the first time it was in person, but now we do it by Zoom because of the pandemic. You know her as a singer, a songwriter, guitarist, bassist, author, and a go-go. Please welcome Kathy Valentine. Hello, Kathy. Woo! I'm clapping for myself. Hi. And I'll clap for you too. Kathy, the last time you were here, it was almost six years ago, 2015. And the things that have happened... In the past six years, it's insane. It really is. And I have to commend you because I think I think this is one might be one of the first podcasts I ever did. You were really early on the curve of podcasts. And it's always stuck in my mind as being a great interview. So Well, thank you so by, much. By this point and with my book release, which I'm sure we'll get to, I've done I'm sure I've done a hundred podcasts, so it's pretty amazing when one stands out. Well, I'm I'm happy to be early with that, and I'm I'm happy. For, I, I'm I welcome the compliment for sure. Yeah, Kathy, when I interviewed you last time, you were not in the Go Go's, and you were almost because uh, I called you on it during the, the. I would play clips from some Go Go songs, and you would just be looking at your phone, and I thought it was so funny that you were just so disconnected at the time, but now. Tons of go-go things have happened, including, I want to talk about this first, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You guys are finally on the ballot. And as far as the fan votes go, I'm looking right now, you guys are in, uh, you're in the top five of fan votes. And that's exciting. And what I like is a lot of times bands will say, eh, who cares, whatever. But you guys are excited about it and you should be. Yeah. Well, it's, it's. It's nice. I mean, first of all, it's. I think it's entirely due to a couple of factors, and one is that the the guard has changed a little bit. The the gatekeepers. I think. Uh, um, you know, there's. I think it's just shifted around a little bit, and um, the documentary that came out really, really kind of highlighted the band's achievements and and showed, you know, what kind of band this really is and was so um we are excited it's i i personally always felt like we deserved a spot sure. in, the, in the rock hall and when i was out of the band my hopes for it was just as 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 uh, thorough or as um as uh, um, intact yeah. because um you know even when i was out of the band i would have been there if sure so, yeah, I, I've always been wanting it and excited about it. And it's weird because I don't generally like popularity contests. I don't like, you know, I don't watch the Grammys. I don't, I, I'm just not into this stuff. Um, and I feel like it should be peers. If, if anyone's going to vote for who b belongs in the 
Rock Hall, I feel like it should be peers, artist to artist. Yeah. You know? But um, that's not the way it is. And um, anyway, enough of that. It's such a great um, lineup on the on the ballot this year. Sometimes I look at it and I'm like, eh, I don't know about this person or that person. But um, this year, everyone is so solid. So for you guys to be in the top five of fan votes, I really hope you get in this year because I hate when people get in after they're, they're no longer with us. You know, you, you guys are still young. You can enjoy this. Yeah, and I think that just the hyping and the talking and vote, 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 it just seems like such a big fizzly waste of energy to not get in and you're supposed to get it up to do that again the next time. I know. And, yeah. How do you get you know, excited every time? Let's, let's get in yeah. the first time and be done with it. Yeah. Let me just throw this out there though. Everyone go to vote.rockhall.com and vote for the go-go's. All right. Moving on, Good. moving on Good. new go-go song club zero. First song in 20 years. Yeah. This happened because uh, I guess you you wanted a new song to promote the documentary. Is that why you guys got together and recorded? Well, I thought it would be good to do that. And I knew it was the producer, the documentary pro producer's dream. But the logistics were fairly, uh, fairly huge. The, it, it seemed like an insurmountable obstacle in that we live all over the globe. Belinda is in Bangkok. Jane is in Hawaii. At the time, she was in Mexico. I'm in Texas. And the way we normally write songs, whether I'm writing with Gina or Jane or Charlotte, uh, and when I've tried to write with Belinda, uh, it's always been just sitting down together in a room, right. you know, and you know, you kind of, the ideas fly around and you can say, what do you think about this? Da -da 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 -da. Oh, I don't like that. What about this? Da -da 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 -da. Or what about this line? No, that's, that's too hallmark. We don't like that line. It just flies and everybody's, you know, confident in their, their talent and their creativity and nobody's feelings get hurt or anything because it's going like that. And, or you might take the song away and, Anyway, long story longer is that um, that um, doing it by email is a very different dynamic because you send a file, an MP3, you're playing the guitar, the, the song idea, and somebody emails back, I don't like that. And it's not like it's just flying in the room and right. flying out. Yeah. It's like it's just their clonk. And so it's the dynamics are difficult. Um 
the the amount of back and forth and the input and everybody weighing in on every little fucking thing. So it was hard. Uh, I don't know if there's any way we could do an album like that. I, I don't, I, I can't even imagine having, it was so hard writing, getting this song written, but um, we wrote several, everybody submitted ideas mm-hmm. and as in usual go-go's fashion, regardless of where you stand on what song or idea you like the best. It's what filters through everybody that that gets there. So uh, Club Zero was the last song standing after the song submitted. And uh, I think that, I think for given the circumstances, it's, it, it kind of does what it was supposed to do. And I I think it holds up. It's a, it's a kick-ass song. You get in, you're one of the writers on this one. So fantastic. And uh, that was one of my questions, if this would be, if this would lead to a new album, but unless you guys are together in the room, it doesn't sound like it, it's possible. It'd be daunting. I don't think so. And, you know, I think for the, for fans um, and for even people that are just observers of the band, it, it's a frustrating because, um, you know, it's like, well, why don't they do more? Why don't they do more? Look at Blondie. They've done a bunch of records. And why don't? And I understand that. And I think some of us would be willing to and happy to do Go-Go's work. Yeah. But even yeah. those of us that are willing and happy to do it, uh, there's it's, it's a hard thing to explain. But when you're young and you're 20s and you don't have the responsibilities and everybody's drive and direction and passion and motivation uh, are the same amount pointing in the same direction. That's, that is much the engine of a band. Yeah. You know, most bands that make it don't have somebody in the band that's like, eh, whatever. It's like, everybody is like, wants the same thing at the same time. And it's in the, and it's not like that. It's, there's anyone that thinks, you know, it's going to be like that for us again when, you know, women grown, fully grown women in our 60s <laughs> are not going to have that unified um, passion and motivation in the same. And, you know, even if somebody was even if it was offered like, you know, like, oh, Kathy, Kathy Valentine, you can give up everything else in your life that you do and be a go go full time and make albums and tour, I wouldn't want it. No way. Right. Cause you have other, you have other passions. You have, you have, yeah. you have the blue bonnets, you have, you have your pets, you have your daughter. Yeah. It, it is different. Yeah. And it's, and I don't think anybody would say that except maybe Gina might want to, <laughs> cause she, she loves this band with uh, like a, a purity and a passion. That's just, you know, unparalleled i mean she, i think gina would have and i don't mean give up everything you right. have to give up your pets and your family but you know what i mean like not do other things gina was so funny in the documentary i mean she is she's like the wild card to me she was just so so, so out there and so uh, like every time she came on screen i just kind of you know kind of got a smile on my face because i'm like oh what is she going to say this time so well and people got a sense of one of the things that was so fun about the band, right. you know, um, 
people are different on camera. I mean, I'm certainly a lot more reserved on camera than I am when it's the five of us. So I don't think my full personality comes out on, on camera. I would like to get better at that. But um, Gina, what you saw is exactly what we experience. And uh, I think she really kind of made made it. She, I think... I think her and Jane both were, were exceptionally good on the documentary. 2018, you guys did some 40th anniversary shows, including three nights at the Hollywood Bowl. I was uh, over 4th of July weekend. I was uh, lucky enough to be at one of those shows. Uh, you guys seemed like you were having a blast. I mean, three nights at the Hollywood Bowl, f 40 years into your career, that's got to be exciting. It was so exciting, and it was very weird for me because you know those were my first you know fully back in the band shows and you know I had been playing I'm I'm a working musician I'm always playing but I'm not always playing the Hollywood freaking ball so uh you know they had been touring without me with with a replace with a substitute and so they were kind of in that playing big places mode yeah I was kind of, we did two warm-ups, but I was kind of thrown after four, four and a half, maybe five years of not playing with the Go-Go's. That was my gig, you know? And so for me, and I think for the band, it, it always takes several weeks of touring just to get into that rhythm where you're completely in the moment and not worrying about whether you make a mistake or thinking about it so much. And so we didn't ever get to get for me to get to that place. Yeah. I was always yeah. a little bit like, you know, having to stay very focused. And uh, especially when you got the Philhar Philharmonic behind yeah. you. Playing with an orchestra. You know, and I would look back and I'm like, you know, the violins are giving a stink eye and it's just like, <laughs> 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 but it was such an honor. I mean, God, what a, and the other thing that sucked was that Gina was, She'd had neck surgery that she was, she, it was like something this has to happen now. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I'll do it after the tour. It would have damaged her more. And her mom was kind of in an end of life situation. Okay. So, you know, rather than cancel, we went ahead and did the shows with Gina's drum tech um, playing Chris Arredondo. And uh, he knew those parts inside yeah, out he did a great job on. he was great Yeah, he did a great job it really felt like as close to gina as it could be i would have preferred to hire a cool woman because i like the idea of right. the go-go's being all female but um that seemed like the quickest and easiest solution to what was a huge problem yeah because he, he already he's already familiar with the song so you're, yeah. ha you're halfway there comfortable Gina yeah. was comfortable. There's always that weird feeling, boy, do, do I know it, that somebody will take your place and they don't want you back. Yeah. You, you get someone else in there and they're like, hey, you know what? That was pretty good with that person. And it's not even that. I think it's just like an old marriage. It's like it just feels like some fresh new meat, you know, something <laughs> spices up the, the relationship. Exactly. The anniversary of the first album going to uh, number one for six weeks. That just happened. Yeah, that was um, that was a cool anniversary. Absolutely.
and then uh, a Broadway musical, Head Over Heels. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's what kind of got me back in the band was, um, you know, when when we decided that what they decided they didn't want to work with me, you know, ugly, ugly, ugly stuff, ugly stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it worked out that, um, you know, if the musical got made, that I would be included or if we got in the rock hall that I would be included. So there was windows that I was still going to be a go-go. And, and when that, when the musical actually got, you know, funded and got a team behind it and was going to go to Broadway, the producers called and said, uh, we want to do a big party to announce this and we want the band to play and we want you to be there. And I, it was scary, you know, yeah. it was really scary. I, I flew to New York and it was my first time to be around them. So there was no talking on the phone with, uh, with the other members prior to you seeing them. There was no, no one reached out like, Hey, Kathy, uh, you know, we don't want it to be awkward when you're here. So we're excited to see you. None of that. It was just cold turkey. None of that. No, um, uh, Belinda had reached out at some point and, uh, and apologized for what had happened. But that was before this. Yeah. And and uh, I had seen them a couple of times at uh, workshops and readings. Mm -hmm. uh, of, and it had been cordial, you know, just kind of like. Because, you know, the truth was, I, I'm not a big grudge holder, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, I'm not one of these people that think everything happens for a reason. I don't think everything happens for a reason. But I also felt like maybe it was the universe nudging me to like, kind of, don't be so complacent with my life, right. you know, you don't have, this doesn't have to define you for your whole life. And even though I've always been in other bands, none of them have had the success and the acclaim of the Go-Go's, even yeah. though they're great bands. Um, so that time, not only did I get to be with my daughter in a very, like nonstop in a very uh, significant growing up era, but I got to start, you know, start thinking about writing my memoir. So anyway, I had, I was, it was okay to be cordial. So but no, actually being in person, talking, to, and I, I had no idea whether it was going to be, what, does this mean I'm back in the band? Right. Do I ask if I'm back in the band? I know. How do you do that? How do you just, how do you put it out there? It was one of the hardest things I've, I've gone through because I love the band. I always did. I was devastated by what happened when they didn't want to work with me. And I missed it. I missed performing. I missed being in the go-go's. I missed the fans. I can get myself pretty sad and upset quickly yeah. if I don't, if I talk about it too much, so I won't. But, um, so I was thrilled to get to do it. And we also had to fly to Miami together and do a big, uh, kind of conference convention of theater bookers throughout the country. So that wasn't just the New York party. You know, I traveled with the band and we did the thing in, in Miami and I had no idea. I knew they had summer shows and I had to go home just going, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Just leave it out there. I did it. Um, I know when we played that it felt, I, no one sounds like me. Yeah. And you know, look, I, I when, when I saw the show, it looked like everyone was having a great time. So 
I'm I'm happy that you're back in the Go Go's. And look, yeah. the the Broadway musical is called Head Over Heels. Who co-wrote that song? Kathy Valentine. Four of your songs are in that musical. You can't have a Go-Go's musical without the song Vacation. I mean, you just can't. contributed a lot to yeah. that band. I was a, a lot of the way. So I was never concerned about the the validity of my role, but, um, you know, anyway, it, it worked out that I was, after that, I just kind of trusted, trusted my talent, trusted, you know, what I bring to the band and that when, when everybody saw it and felt it, I was asked to come back and, you know, a lot of healing took place after that, you know, apologies were forthcoming and, um, you know, and so it's, it's not like it's, it's like, it's, it's been pretty magical. That's great. And did the, did the documentary, the Go-Go's directed by Alison Elwood, did this also help to mend some fences? Because, in a documentary like this, you guys have to rehash the past. You have to talk yeah. about the good and the bad and the ugly. And and that's difficult because if you're trying to get past all that, but yet now the camera's on you and you have to discuss it, are you in your head thinking, oh, if I talk about this, is this going to cause a rift again? Or if someone else brings something up, is that going to make Kathy or Gina or whoever angry all over again how does that work well there was you know there's not besides me getting kicked out you know there was other pretty big betrayals in the band in the past in the history of the band and and i wasn't the first person i was the first person where it succeeded but i wasn't the first to be discussed about kicking out right and um so none of that came up in the documentary like we didn't talk about that 
years when I wasn't in the band. And uh, it wasn't so much about sweeping it under the carpet or pretending like it didn't happen, but we felt like this documentary was, we were supporting it and into it for one reason, which was to highlight our achievements and to show where the band came from and what we were able to accomplish because we felt like the only thing that really represented us, we hadn't, we had no control over the outcome and that was behind the music and behind the music part two or whatever they call it remastered or whatever. And that, that was a good thing at the time, but it's also got a template where it's very much about the salacious, Oh, they fought and they didn't get along and they were mad about this and they did drugs and they got drunk and, you know, and it kind of became the sensationalistic sensational part of the story. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Overshadowed the success, the fun, the success, the accomplishment, the creativity. I mean, it's just like, so we really wanted this to, I mean, if people want to find the dirt, it's all out there. You can you can find the dirt on the right. man. It's not like it's some big hidden thing. But we didn't want the documentary to tell every little, you know, grimy underside of us. We wanted something finally that shined a light on the extraordinary parts of the band on the reasons why you should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's that's what the documentary shows. All those yeah, I mean, if it's going to be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, there's arguably many people in the hall that aren't rock and roll. Yeah. And, you know, it's probably a misnamed museum at this yeah. point. True. But, um, but if you're if there are going to be any uh, ties to the original concept, you know, what's more rock and roll than a band that comes out of the streets of a city, out of a scene and makes it all the way to the top? You know, that's kind of the you know, not only the American story dream, American dream, but it's, you know, whatever. I think everybody that starts a band kind of wants yeah. to succeed, you know, unless you just want to do it as a hobby and keep your day job and go play in, in a, you know, do covers in a wedding for extra in, a wedding band or, you know, yeah. there's lots of reasons to want to be in a band. It's fun. But a lot of people, you know, I didn't join a band so that I could, just play the bars in my hometown. Right. That isn't why. That isn't why I started playing. No. I wanted to be. The, I wanted to be in the Stones or, or yeah. something. The um, I watched the documentary with my wife, who's not uh, who's not a crazy music fan like I am. You know, obviously she knows all the Go Go's hits. Everyone does. But like ten minutes into the documentary, my wife is like, "Oh my god, I didn't know any of this. This is fantastic." So it really. It really hit all the points you guys were trying to do. It, you know, the week it came out, everyone I talked to, everyone was like, "Did you see the Go Go's documentary yet? You got to watch the Go Go's documentary. It's so good." And it, uh, yeah. And I and, thought everybody knew that. I mean, 
I thought, but I guess just people in LA knew. Yeah, you know, I think that's true. Even, yeah. yeah. The, the, the director, Allison, had no idea. She was like, this is the story. And I thought it was like, well, I thought the story was our longevity, that despite all kinds of stuff, we have worked together and been an intact band for decades now. I thought that was the story because a lot of people think that we broke up in 85 and that was it. Yeah. You know? But we've done a lot. We've done, it's not always at the the peak of, you know, it's not like the billboard headlines, but we've done a lot for decades. I thought that was a story, but she's like, no, no, no. The story is <laughs> this. Luckily, the I wasn't the director. <laughs> Uh, one more thing coming up this year is that it's the 20th anniversary of God Bless the Go-Go's, the last proper Go-Go studio album. That's going to be re-released with new artwork and uh, and a couple of bonus tracks. And I believe one of the bonus tracks is I don't I can't find it in front of me, but it's a it's a it's a Kathy song. There's um I think I need sleep and King of Confusion and yes. I I believe those tracks were either B sides, or maybe import bonus tracks. Yeah, or maybe on an import. So they, they just so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have those on yeah. there. Bonus tracks sounds like there's something new. something new. Yeah, there's not. There's yeah, just, but there's a but there's a, there's tracks you might not have yet. So King of Confusion, co-written by Kathy Valentine. Let's talk about All I Ever Wanted, a rock and roll memoir by Kathy Valentine. This is one of the most uh, honest and raw books uh, I've ever read as far as uh, rock bios, uh, you know, autobiographies go. Was this the best therapy session you ever had, putting these words yeah. to paper? It was the best therapy. It was the cheapest therapy. It was the most in-depth therapy. You know, I'm... I'm a uh, 32 years sober, I think. Jesus, and um, so I'm not unfamiliar with being, you know, vulnerable and facing my demons and uh, self honesty. I don't think you can stay sober for the length of time I have without being able, having the capacity to be honest with yourself. So I was able to put a pretty unflinching eye onto my past and the story that I told. You really did. And, and you said earlier you have a daughter. And how old is your daughter? She's 18 now. But when I started the book, she was 13. 13, 13-year-old 13 Kathy Valentine, oh, yeah. I'm sure what is 100% different from 13-year-old yeah, yeah. uh, oh, your yeah. daughter. And yeah, absolutely. And there was times when I was writing it where I was the same age. I was writing about 
my 13 or my 14 and my daughter was the same age and it was this very interesting uh, vantage point to to see my adolescence and see hers and the difference in it and it it definitely added a a dynamic to my I think it added to my writing I mean everything I used every tool available to me to to write Mm -hmm. this book every tool and that being a mom was one of them, you know, having that, having that, uh, element to, to view my own mother and my, my being a daughter was, was, it was added a, a tool to my writing skills. Now, when you're writing a book like this, you know, that eventually your daughter's going to read it. Anyone who you've written about in the book that's still with us is going to read it. How does that influence you're writing because I, you're probably saying, Oh, do I want these people close to me to read this? You probably, you don't care if I read it, but your daughter, you might care what she's going to think. How do you do that? Yeah, I was very, I was conscious of it. And I tried, you know, when it came to other people, I was very careful about being on it and telling my story and not telling their story. Right. And, uh, trying to only tell things as they presented a context and move the story forward. Like I, I didn't want to just tell something that happened just because it happened. And I remembered it, right. you know, I did that at first. I wrote just cause I remembered something. I would write about it thoroughly and I would write about it well and thoroughly and honestly, but then I had to start looking at like, does this move the story forward? I ended up cutting a hundred pages out of my book. Yeah. Because the, the I wanted the story to move forward. I wanted a pace that that moved. I didn't want a, people's attention to wander and like oh, I'm bored with this. So I, I had a lot of plates I was juggling. So with other people, yeah, and and I also asked. I got approval. You know, I yeah. sent I sent Rob Lowe. I sent Mike Chapman. I sent people I wrote about. And I sent and a lot of people declined to read. I asked all the Go-Go's, do you want to read? And they said, no, we trust you. All right. So, um, so a lot of people declined to read. Um, I sent, you know, anything that mentioned someone, I, I offered them to read it. And, um, and then Audrey, the only problem with her, and that's my daughter, is that when she was younger, she was a little um, appalled that I would be writing about some of the things. Yeah. You know, like getting an abortion when I'm 12, getting pregnant. And she's like, you can't put that, you know. And I felt bad because I thought I don't want my daughter to have shame about what I did when I was 12. Right. But I just said to her, you know, let's see how you feel in a few years. You know, and I I said, I think it's important that and I said, do you feel like I should have had to have the baby when I got pregnant? Should I have had to do it? And she said, oh, God, no. Yeah. And I said, well, that is something, that's a choice that, that, that a lot of people would like to see taken away from women. And I said, and I think it's a time that it's very important that women tell their stories about why Absolutely. they an abortion. Absolutely. And, uh, and um, so it was kind of, I'm not saying it wasn't hard, but. You know, ultimately, she's really proud, really, really proud. And, uh, you know, I am, too. 
Well, it's 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 brave to put it's brave to put these stories out there on paper that are going to live now forever. It's and it's um, it, I don't want it's heroic it, and it's going to help, you know, young girls and young women who read this to, you know, I don't want to say mistakes, Kathy, but, you know, not maybe yeah. fall into some of the same things you did at such an early age. I have uh, my youngest daughter just turned 16 and reading this book, it's, it's, you know, kind of horrific when you're a parent, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I'm, it's amazing that you, that you made it through and, yeah, and, and are I mean, such a solid person now. And obviously a great mom. Well, one of the things I realized writing it was that, you know, I was, my mom dropped the ball in a lot of ways, but she also didn't, you know, mm -hmm. and when I started the book, I had a lot of resentment about my mom and I was able to see as a parent what she did that was, I mean, I always felt loved, mm -hmm. always felt, I never didn't feel loved. And I know people, I have friends that still wonder if their mother or father loved them. They don't, they don't feel loved. So that's a huge pillar of parenting. Um, I always felt supported. If I, when I said, I'm not going to college, I'm going to be in a band, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be, my mom was like, yeah, go for it. You know, she didn't think there was any rules or any boundaries that applied anywhere to her or anybody. So um, that was, that support kind of was important, I yeah. think. When my dad was on his deathbed, he was expressing a lot of regret that he wasn't in my life more. And I said, you wouldn't have let me do what my mom let me do. And my whole life would have been different. And it was a, a really nice releasing moment for him. But but uh, the others, on the other side of the coin, I realized writing the book that my, my uh, strongest sense from a very young age was that it was my job to take care of myself. Yeah. That was my job. And you can look at that and go, oh, isn't that sad? You know, and I obviously didn't do the greatest job of taking care of myself. Right. I was I was drinking and drugging and having sex. Uh, so I wasn't doing a, a great job of it. But nevertheless, that's what's instilled in me. And it's been something that it's I mean, it's I'm, it's just part of me. It's how I'm wired. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't ever look to someone to take care of me. I don't ever you know, I don't look out for relationships like, is this guy going to take care yeah. of me? I don't look for bands to take care of me. You know, I'm always, I, I'm thinking now, I'm 62 years old and I'm thinking, oh, should I get a master's degree in case I ever want to teach? You know, I might need a, a source of, in I mean, I'm just wired to taking <laughs> care of, of Kathy, you know, and that's part of the way I was raised. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But Kathy, how do you want your daughter then to feel? Do you want her to feel like Kathy, her mom is taking care of her? Or do you want her to have that at a young age, taking her care of herself, Jean going? How do you, how do you feel that I, way now that you're I, a mom? It's a great question, and I have worried, you know, I've worried, like, you know, will she have the drive? Will she have the, you know, and I think all you can do as a parent is is, is raise your child with the appropriate values. Yes. You know, that, you know, there, you can't take away that, that she has a privilege and a, a, a parent relationship that I, that, you know, that somebody else might not have. Mm -hmm. But, um but she's got the values of, of, of uh, you know, an ethics that 
kind of guide her. So, so I think, I think that, um, that, you know, she, it's just a little, like she has to, her, like, for instance, she's going to college. And I, I used to say like, well, what the hell? I'll, wherever you go, get into college, I'll move. I'll move too. We'll be. And then I started thinking, you're going to deprive her of that year of being lonely. And right. I don't want to do that. You yeah. Know? You you and, want her to want to come home at Christmas time. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I like, miss uh, you so much, mom. I'm coming home. And I wasn't doing it to be a helicopter mom. It was kind of just like, hey, I've, I'll have the freedom. Why not? Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not in love with Austin. You know, I can go live anywhere. I can do what I do anywhere. And, uh, so I would always say, Hey, it'll be fun. You know, if you get into NYU, I'll get an apartment in the city. But now I'm like, eh, let, <laughs> let her go through that. Right. You exactly. Know? You guys can miss each other. And then, uh, the bond will be stronger when you get together. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, also, this is kind of bougie, but you know, like, uh, the summer before the pandemic summer, she, went away on a public, uh, I mean, a public, uh, a community service trip to mm-hmm. Costa Rica and doing that did more for her than anything, you, you know, it, it built, you know, leadership qualities and, and independence and self-confidence that I think it was a much better way to get them than, you know, than I got. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a fantastic experience. And, and again, yeah. much different from what Kathy was doing at the same age. Let yeah. me, let me backtrack. You said your, your dad on his um, deathbed was uh, sorry that he w- wasn't uh, in your life more. And this might be too personal of a question. And if it is just, we'll move on. But is, is your daughter's father uh, in her life? Oh, so much. We're a, we are a really close family. Good, good, I good. I mean, we're very, very close. And, I mean, it's almost like we are the the modern. I mean, I've even thought of writing a book about staying a family after divorce. Because I just felt like like I grew up without my dad. And when, when it became clear that my ex-husband and I were not going to stay together, my number one thing was like, whatever I feel is not is secondary to my daughter feeling like she has a family still. Right. And, and, uh, I was just determined that, that she wasn't going to have the same experience as me. So, uh, I mean, she's been hearing us, you know, say, I love you. We love each other still, you know, we're, That's we're good. So close. yeah. So, and it sounds, and this is, uh, this is, you know, sometimes you hear people say that if they grew up in a home where they, the parents weren't great, and then when they were parents, they weren't great. And they always say like, well, I didn't have a good mom or I didn't have a good dad. So I didn't know any better. And I'm not saying your mom was that way, but I do feel like it reading the book that you, if there was a cycle, you broke the cycle with your daughter. You've you're full yeah. on a great mom and a great yeah, dad no, is what you're telling I, me. I, I think so. I think she has great parents. And, um, um, I think that, that, you know, the, the things I learned from my mom were, you know, to give that unconditional love and support. But, um, you know, I've, I have bound, I don't know, I have boundaries and stuff. And, you know, my, my daughter, a lot, it's kind of textbook psychology that a young daughter, a young girl that doesn't have a dad or a strong male figure in her life 
you know, there's a, a, a strong correlation to a lot of things I went through. Yeah. Promiscuity and stuff. So Audrey's always, always had that strong. <laughs> the cats are on, e- the cats are on either side of the door and they're trying to get to each other. They are, and uh, in a way it's like, maybe this is like how it should have always been. Yeah. Keep them. <laughs> so Kathy, also you, um, first of all, I want to, I want, before I forget, I want people to, uh, you know, you can go to kathyvalentine.bandcamp.com and Kathy has a bunch of singles that she records and releases through Bandcamp. And she also did something interesting with the book. She has a 15 song soundtrack album that is a companion piece to the book. Now, this was pretty yeah. cool, Kathy. Yes, I am. To be honest, I thought it was genius. I mean, I thought it was the most genius thing I'd ever thought of. I'm like, what can I do that other writers can't do? Yeah. And I'm like, why doesn't every musician do this? I mean, there's been musicians that have done memoirs and have released an album at the same time. But this isn't just an album. It is It is specifically uh, written to accompany the book right. and there's 40 something chapters in my book. So there's not a, a soundtrack to each chapter. They're, they're short chapters, but the ones that had a wallop and that spoke to me and that I thought could be interpreted musically, I, I, I chose and all my chapter titles, the way I, I picked the chapter titles was to, um, I would just like look at what I'd written and if a word jumped out, I would just call the chapter that. Yeah. So I would remember what was in there. I, I didn't know what they were actually going to be. But by the end of the book, I was used to them and I just kept them. And some of them kind of seemed like song titles to me. And so I thought it was genius that, and didn't understand why every musician didn't do that. But what I didn't expect was it to be such just the most fun, creative, I mean, I probably ever in my entire musician life that I've ever done. First of all, it's an ingenious idea and it's such a fun listen. If I name some of these song song titles, which are also chapter titles, can you tell us a little bit uh, for people who haven't read the book yet? Can you tell us a little bit? So liquid forget. I was a latchkey of Brannisville. In a stone drag, run down a low rent duplex. A baby doll, a knee high, some jazz of boots. And a tomboy ride a stingray on the way to the pool. I found another good time girl out to make some fun. Be my sidekick, fuck up. Yeah, fuck ups. We were fuck ups in training, both attracted and repelled by each other. Like poles in a loser magnetic field. My new friend was off brand, trouble, crazy, up for anything. First came the cigarettes, Marlboro Reds, the box smashed flat in the back pocket, the cut off jeans, slick die eye. Then we got drunk together on Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. Liquid Forget, I got, like I said, I would just something would jump out at me and what I'd written. And that's about a chapter where I write about when I first started drinking and I was just guzzling. Uh, I, I mean, I drank to for obliteration almost from the get go. And 
uh, it made me, I was very young, I was 12, and it made me forget. It, it was like I was comfortable for the first time. I've, and what I think what I wrote in the book is like, you forget that you live in a crummy rent house. I forgot that my dad didn't want to have me in his life. I forgot, you know, that my pores were big and my thighs were fat. And, you know, it was, and I called it liquid forget. So um, the, the song that I put to, and it's very much a soundtrack. I, I, I have element songwriting. One of the things I loved was that since I viewed it as a soundtrack, it meant that I could utilize the craft of songwriting, but I didn't have to stick with it. Right. I didn't have to go verse, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus out. I didn't right. have to do that. I could do whatever I wanted. And you did. So, um, so that's what I did. And I sat down and I never knew what I was going to start with. And I think for Liquid Forget, I just, I think I just started with a, 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 a loop, a drum loop, and started just jamming on guitar. And uh, went from there. I never knew where I was going. So, go ahead. I think I captured every song, every soundtrack song, I think really captures not only the text of mm -hmm. what is written in that chapter, but I think it, I think it captures sonically. I think it captures the mood. Yeah. And some of these are tough. The next one I'm going to throw out there is just do it. Two girls in 14 years old after hitchhiking to Houston with my girlfriend and having to come back by myself uh, after being raped. And it was weird because I wrote the chapter and then I thought I have to do a song to this. And I started, I thought I'm going to play slide bass. I mean, I just would try all kinds of things. So I thought I'm going to play slide bass and it made this weird sound like, like this. and it, I thought this sound captures the mood of that chapter and then I got to this chorus that was very girlish mm -hmm. kind of girl group and I started singing the lines do it just do it if I can't stop you I can let you and I started crying yeah I, I would I imagine crying and I started crying and I couldn't stop crying and I put the guitar down and it was like a key it had like, even though I had written the chapter, 
There was something about the musicality, the lyricality that just opened it up. And for the first time in, since I was 14 years mm -hmm. old, despite sobriety, despite therapy, despite writing about that chapter, it was like the box opened. And I grieved and I mourned and it did not stop for three days. I sobbed for three days. I had to pick my daughter up from the aforementioned Costa Rica trip. And she thought I was sobbing because I'd missed her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I did miss you. But also this happened. And um, it was an amazingly intense. And But you didn't drop that song. You, you after no, no, three days of sobbing, you went back to do it. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, I still I don't know how you do it. I was still like I was going to do before the pandemic, I was going to do a 25 city book tour. So excited. Yeah. And I was going to I wasn't going to just sit there and read from the book and, and sign copies. I wanted it to be a real I'm Kathy Valentine. An event. I'm not a go-go. I'm not a blue bonnet. I'm not a Delphine. I'm not. I'm being me for the first time at 62. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to sing sing these songs and so i was practicing before the pandemic and i was like can i even do this song if i do a bookstore appearance because every time i would play it i would start crying yeah. and i'm like you know i don't want it to be some big like awkward weird thing that i'm just like crying so uh i i had kind of decided i might not do that one <laughs> and it's a it's kind of it it's when you read the words just do it for me without any context, just do it. sounds positive. You, you yeah. know, like just do it good to be who you want to be. Do, and then when you read that chapter, it's just a gut punch. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, that's as a, as a, as a crafter, I mean, as a songwriter for many years, I'm very conscious of craft and as a writer of prose, I was able to bring that tool into my writing kit, that kind of songwriting approach to craft. And uh, I think a sensibility that not every writer, it's, you know, it helps my voice, my writing voice yeah. that I was a songwriter. Well, again, th first of all, thank you for talking about that song and, um, and, and for being so honest, always. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead to Next to Merle. Six weeks straight. We got a tour bus. My work is played. It's one long escape for a troubled girl like me. I hit the show. Couldn't find a groom. So an all night bender with strangers. Will help me lose my blues. I saw my mama and I'm seeing my dad in Oklahoma. It's been five years since we were together, and now I'm all wrong. But he just told me I put your record right next to Yes. Now that one I love to do. I do that one a lot. And um, that that comes from the chapter where my dad has, you know, when I asked him to help me out, I'd never asked him for anything. I asked him for money to help me get a guitar and an amp. And he 
rejected it and said it was, you know, a stupid idea. And, um, you know, two years later, I'm on tour and I'm playing in Oklahoma with the Go-Go's and my dad comes and he pulled me aside and he said, I was wrong. You're pr I'm proud of you. You've done great. I've got your records right next to my Merle Haggard albums. And uh, in the book, I write about how that really sank in to me, like how I never really knew what it felt like to be a girl making her dad proud. Yeah. And uh, it made me cry on the bus that night. I, I, I cried because I'd never gotten that approval from my dad. And uh, so because my dad loved Merle Haggard and country music, that song I, I thought would be best captured with a kind of a country. I mean, I'm not a, I'm far from a country artist, but kind of a, a, a little country feel to it. And I got my friend Denny Freeman to play a lap steel on it. One of the only times on the whole thing where I don't play the instrument myself. Yeah. Cause you're all over this with uh, whether it's drum loops or bass guitar, it's, it's uh it's really Kathy yeah, Valentine. All the guitars, all the keyboards, which is in, mm. for me like incredible keyboards uh and sometimes i would like look up i was like okay i want a weird chord i would look up how to finger different chords on the keyboard and i would just record that chord mm -hmm. you know because i couldn't play it so i'm pretty good with the you know pro tools too now for you and i as a parent if our kids come in and uh sing us a song that off the top of their head we're like wildly proud of them but for you it took you being a huge success until your dad finally came around to it. But uh, I, I'm glad that you had that moment. Yeah, me too. Cause some people and, may um, never get it. Yeah. And it's legitimate too, that um, I took eight months off of writing the book uh, because my dad moved to Texas. I mean, moved to Austin and got, had heart surgery and kind of went on a downhill slope mm -hmm. for eight months until he died. And that, that was our time in 2018 from basically like September to May. Um, that was when I got a relationship with my dad. So I, it was too, anybody that's dealt with a, a failing parent, not failing, but, um, you know, demise of a parent knows that it's pretty all encompassing. And yeah. he, so I couldn't write a book while I was doing that. And yet it was a wonderful thing. And, and again, I'm, I mean, it's a, it's not the best time to form a strong relationship with your parent, but I'm happy that better you had that nothing. time, but better yeah, than better never. Than nothing. And I'm also in a weird way, I'm glad that he didn't read my book. You know, going back to your original question, I think my book would have broken my dad's heart. Because he, because he didn't know some of the things yeah. that were happening. And then he would have felt even more guilty about not being around. Yeah, obviously. Well, I told him, I mean, we had, we had plenty of, he was lucid to his last breath. So we had plenty of chances to talk about it and, and stuff. And he expressed remorse and regret. And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, mm -hmm. it had an effect on me, but, um, but I still think, I mean, my mom struggles with what was in my book. Yeah. You know, when your dad expressed remorse and reg regret, are you able to accept that and then let everything go? Are you able yeah, to because I wouldn't have been in, I wouldn't have been a musician. I would have been probably a, a college professor. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't have had Audrey. Yeah, everything would have been different. Everything so would have been that's different. That's what I was. That was my gift to him. I said, "It's okay. This is our journey. This is our journey." And I also got to tell him, 
it didn't screw up my love life. Because a lot of people, like a lot of women that don't have good, strong dad relationships, they have these fucked up relationships. I've had like nothing but incredible men in my life. And I've loved incredible men and I've been loved by incredible men. So I got to tell him that. Well, that's good. It's like, it's not like it didn't affect me not having you in my life, dad. I said, but my life turned out really great and I've had amazing relationships. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Relationships. Um, now you told me that you, uh, you're taking a class right now. What, what, what are you studying or don't you want to share that? No, no, I'm, I'm graduating. I, I started in my book. I write about before I moved to LA, I, I, I went to a, a hippie commune school, which is where I started playing guitar. I saw Susie Quattro in England, which I connected. I'm playing guitar to, I can be in a rock and roll band. I, do it in Austin for a couple of years. I moved to LA, but before moving to LA, I leave the hippie commune school and go to community college. So fast forward to the nineties and the Go-Go's are not working much. We had a a five-year gap where there was a big falling out from 1990 to 95. And I was trying to make my band happen and trying and trying and trying to get a publishing deal. And I just finally thought, you know, I'm just not getting anywhere. And it was so tiresome to just keep putting my all into everything and not get anywhere. So I thought, I'm going to go back to school because at least at school, you're learning something and you're getting somewhere. Right. You know, you you have a start, you have a finish, you get the grade, you move on to the next class. And it's it's not like the arts where you just do stuff, do stuff, do stuff and Sometimes it's just that you're the only one that gives a shit. So, uh, and that can get, that can wear you down. But once I started doing that, like, it's like taking the focus from, like, everything started opening up musically. But getting back to this, so starting those classes in L.A., I went to Pasadena City College. I went to Glendale Community College. And I, I've always been a curious, uh, intellectually curious. I've always read, you know, academic level books, you know, even, you know, I've always been a, a, so I loved reading. I loved, um, I loved the classes I was taking. I loved even like taking statistics, you know, I just started knocking out required stuff. So then I stopped for a while, really busy doing the go-go's got back together. We played all this stuff. And, um, and then when I, my next uh, time I'm back in Austin, and I get a divorce and I'm just feeling that same thing of like, like that place in life where I'm lost and I'm like, I'm going to go back to school. So school has been this kind of bench, like a, a touchstone. Yeah. Like it just, it's a way to just kind of get grounded, take your focus off of everything in life and just put it into like what you're learning and doing and what your assignments are. But this time... It was 2010 and um, or 11 maybe, and I started looking back at what I had accrued, and I'm like, shit, I could get a degree, I could graduate. Anyway, I got a book deal somewhere in between 2010 and now, right? And so I did. I stopped going to school, and then at the pandemic, I got back in touch with St. Ed's University, where I go here in Austin, and I said I talked to the the dean and I'm like what do I need to do to graduate and it was like 
four classes. So perfect. Starting in the fall of the pandemic, I took two last semester and I graduate in May. So this semester, I'm actually got an elective and I chose yoga because I need to do yoga. <laughs> well, we're in yeah. lockdown, so everyone's eating and drink. Well, not you're not drinking, but eating. So you need to yeah, yeah. get a little exercise and some, yeah. and some and college other, credits. And the other last thing you have to do to graduate at this college is you have to do a, a capstone, like a basically a small thesis, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and you have to write an academically, an academic scholarly paper with all the research about a topic that you choose that is, uh, you know, current in, in today's society. So that's what I've been working on. So in the and end, graduate in May. And, and your degree will be in what? You'll have a... a, a it's a um, it's an interdisciplinary degree in English and fine arts. Excellent. Excellent. And the reason that is, is because... Uh, I got, I was given quite a bit of credit for my music career. Now they didn't just go, oh, here it is. Right. Like I had to do these portfolios that equaled syllabus courses, you know, gotcha. and prove that I had the knowledge that equaled this class and this, but they don't offer music degrees. So they, they said, we want to give you this credit, but we don't offer a music degree. So we're going to roll it into fine arts. We do have a fine arts degree so that they, they worked with me, you know, it's, 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 you know, it was good for them too. I think to have me graduate that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's good. For no, them. it's they good. It, it definitely is good. You're, you'll be alumni I mean, of that college. Job is to help people get educated. Yeah. Right. right. So, so yeah. the book, all I ever wanted, it came out a year ago. Is there going to be a paperback version coming out soon? Yes. I'm so excited. UT press is there. They are, a wonderful press. They've got some wonderful music uh, books. I encourage anybody to check out their catalog. And that's University to, University of Texas Press. I just want to. Yes, yes. University of Texas. Uh, they, they published uh, Kristen Hirsch's book, um, you know, about Vic Chestnut, uh, uh, Don't Suck, Don't Die. Mm. Uh, Vivian Goldman's book, uh, Revenge of the, she of the Sheep Hunks. Really cool books and always... Um, they have a whole series of like, why does so-and-so matter that are all music books. So I was really excited when they approached me. Plus, they let me write the book I wanted to write. They, they didn't. A bigger publisher, I think, might have been like, nobody cares about this stuff. We want the dirt, you know, or no fans are going to want to read this. They don't care about your childhood. Like, they weren't like that. They were like, we want your story. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's what you want. You want yeah. someone in your corner that's going to do that. Uh, I'm going to yeah, get. So I love them. And and they rarely do paperbacks. So. So yay. you're excited because they are doing yours in paperback. And it comes out in August. And what I'm hoping is that I might actually get to do some of my personal appearances. You know, yeah, I hope you get to do that, too. And if you come to L.A., I'll definitely be there. I'm yeah. giving I have two copies of this that I'm giving away that. uh UT Press sent me many, many, a year ago, probably. So I'm going to finally give those away in conjunction with this episode. There's a picture in here of, uh, of, of the band with John Belushi that was taken the night of your first gig ever with the Go-Go's. Yeah. And it's like a miracle to me that that picture even exists because who had a camera there? What I mean, now we have our phones. We can take a picture anytime, any place. But I mean, for someone to have a camera there and then the picture's excellent. Yeah, that was Jeanette Beckman. And she, 
photographed a lot of the early Go-Go stuff, including before I was in the band. Um, there's a lot of iconic pictures of the band uh, with Margot that Jeanette took, and she also did the first photo session that I did with the band. She, she photographed us a lot, and she's awesome. She lives in New York City and has uh, just an incredible body of work. Um, something else in regard to photos. Every year on your birthday, you post a photo of yourself just what do we want to say? Clean slate. What do we, it, how do we, how do you, what do you call this photo that you post every, uh, every year? You just say, this is what 62 looks like. This is what. Yeah. 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 I think it's important because I think, I, I think it's hard for everybody, but I think women in particular mm -hmm. are conditioned to feel like our value and worth is based in our appearance and our youth. And um, I want to, put out a message, not only that it's okay to age and you don't have to do a bunch of stuff to your face right. in order to be of value and to be vibrant and youthful. I mean, I, I mean, I've done more things that are new and challenging and, and scary as shit in my, in my sixties uh, than you know, I mean, it's, it's like so many people, people like they just start kind of retreating into themselves yeah. and I feel like I'm expanding into myself I feel like and that's a strong message I want to put out and that that photo the yearly photo and I'm not gonna lie it does get harder it gets harder because we all have egos and vanity and you know it's it's a very difficult thing to see yourself change and to see yourself age I'm lucky I have really good genes my mom looks amazing and she's in her 80s that is great but uh it's still hard, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a hard thing, but I think it's just a important to be supportive of that, that uh, message because we're bombarded with the opposite message. So just to be one tiny little voice representing the other side of how it can be, how aging can be. And, and not only in appearance, but I, I really do think, I mean, like I've been learning, about finance for the first time in my life. I've been learning uh, blockchain technology. I've, wow. You know, I, I don't, to me, the, the horror of horrors is being that old person that can't operate their phone. They can't do anything. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, doesn't know what a browser is. Like I, whatever that, whatever our technology is when I'm 70, or something. I don't want to be that person. Well, I've, know? I've interviewed people in the past few months that they, they have like an assistant, get them on the zoom, <laughs> even, yeah. even something as simple as that. But, uh, uh yeah, when you post oh, that, I, I, I will leave the person unnamed cause it's someone we all know, but I was appalled that they didn't know how to copy and paste. Sad. And I'm like, how have you, how have you, how do you even like text or email if you don't know what copy and paste is? Yes, that is sad. <laughs> okay, Kathy, I'm going to wrap it up here. I want to do some quick promotion for you. Go to kathyvalentine.com and also go to kathyvalentine.bandcamp.com for new music that Kathy makes. Uh, follow Kathy on Twitter at Kathy underscore Valentine. 
Go to vote.rockhall.com to vote for the Go-Go's. Kathy, what is your Instagram? I did. I don't have that in front uh, of me. It's Kathy.Valentine. Kathy.Valentine on Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's got the blue check, so I'm easy to find from any other. There's lots of, you know, it turns out there's like piles of Kathy Valentines. Well, we only want the official blue check Kathy Valentine. I want to have a, like a Kathy Valentine convention sometime. I, I think that would be like pretty wild. Like some of us with names that have like so many people with the same name, how weird that would be to just have like a convention. Um, I would be the leader, obviously. I would be the Kathy Valentine. Right. You know. you're, yeah, you're the queen. Hey, <laughs> now, I, I'm holding up here right here, Kathy. I have two tickets. You put in the readers on. I've been wearing yeah. mine the whole time. These are from uh, last June. The Go-Go show at the Orpheum. Is that show going to happen this year? What do you think? I don't know. I, th I think that, um, I think it depends on the venues. Mm -hmm. You know, we, it, it's not like for us to decide. Okay. Like it's the, the venues and the promoters have to decide. And um, so we're in a holding pattern as much as our ticket holders sure. are. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm like holding. I've got the time. I got the time blocked out on my calendar. Yeah. I'm getting in shape. I'm I'm practicing. I'm I'm getting like fit. <laughs> I'm picking good. my outfits, but I don't I don't you know, I'm ready to pivot too. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that that happens. Also, have you been vaccinated yet? Yes, I'm fully vaxxed and um uh, really thrilled with the peace of mind. I also want to mention that um I did a single, I did a remake with my daughter of Beneath the Blue Sky off the third Go-Go's album. I was just going to, that's going to be our playout song today. That's on my oh, list. Cool. I love doing that. And the soundtrack was the last big music thing I did, but I missed making music and I missed, um, and yet I haven't felt like that inspired to write songs. So I have been kind of revisiting some of the stuff in my past and I don't know. I just have this pull to like, I think the next song I'm going to do is a duet of we don't get along, which was a song. It was my first lucky break and showbiz. It was the song when I first moved to LA that Phil Seymour covered and then the Go-Go's did it. And I kind of want to do it a, a new version. And i also want to do some of the songs you'll read in my book about my failed demos when I, when the Go-Go's broke up and I was floundering and didn't know who I was musically, I did some demos that were a massive failure and really um, helped bring me to my bottom because of the despair of the loss of the Go-Go's and not knowing who I was. Yep. And I have this weird compulsion to record one or two of those songs and see what they would be like now with me being confident and capable and sure of myself and not desperately needing it to do something. I don't know. So I, I think, might do that too. I think that is a great idea. Yeah, so kind of cool. Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show again. Uh, when you get here to LA again, I hope that we can say hello in person. I want people yeah. to go buy all I ever wanted, pick up the hardback and then in August, uh, pick up the paperback too. Give it to a and friend. An audio book. Also, the, the soundtrack is part of the audio book. So there you go. There you People go. I love that because it's also got underscoring. Like when I'm talking about my first band, I found a cassette of my first band rehearsing. So you hear underneath me reading it, you hear my very first band playing. That's so amazing. Cool. And speaking of bands, is there going to be new Blue Bonnets music in the future? 
I don't know. I don't think so because um, not for a while because I am so into being me for a change. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm kind of just taking a break from being a band member, which is all I've been for my entire career, other than my 2005 solo album. And part of it is I've never wanted to be a solo artist. It's not what my dream is. But with, with all the other things that I can bring to the table, I'm kind of into just being me. And I, what I really want to do is write a collection of literary short stories with a soundtrack that goes with each one. So I think that's a huge project, and I don't know if I have time to drive a band at the same time. But if somebody else wants to drive the band and just say, we got a gig at the Continental Club You'll go do Saturday it. night, yeah, yeah, I'll go do it. I just don't <laughs> want to be the, the driving force. Well, I want the driving force of me to be directed at me, which is a pretty big thing for me. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're going to I'm glad that you're going to continue writing because you are excellent at it. And the book and the book is proof. So Thank you. thanks again to Kathy Valentine. And as our playout song today, everyone, please enjoy Beneath the Blue Sky. With my daughter. With your All daughter. Right. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Pat. I Thank- loved it. Thanks, Rock Solid. It's true.